the collective and it's been an awesome series we've seen a lot of just momentum from it and i had a thought for you guys as we are we're wrapping up this series tonight and um it's gonna kind of recap it and just tie it all together it's gonna be great i had a i had a thought um earlier today and i wanted to share it with you because i have the microphone so i'm gonna share it with you just kidding so you have to listen to me um preach. Uh, so in, um, I was, I was kind of thinking about the fact that Jesus is the son of God, right? Everyone tracking with me, you know, he came from heaven. His, yeah, thanks. Love it. <laughs> but no, for real, he's the son of God and he came to earth. He was fully divine, but also fully man. And as he approached his age of being able to go out and do ministry, he didn't just go and do ministry on his own. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Like I, this thought occurred to me for the first time. Maybe it should have occurred to me a long time ago, but it didn't. It occurred to me this morning. Jesus didn't do ministry or his life by himself. He brought 12 disciples along with him and crowds of people along the way. And um, I, I just thought this, this was really interesting. In Mark chapter 3, verse uh, 13, it says, Jesus... This is right before he calls his 12 disciples. And he says, um, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, most of us who have heard the story of Jesus, heard about the 12 disciples, it's an easy thought to tie together of, Oh, yeah, he brought them along so that they could help him with his ministry. Like, they could help him talk to the sick people that he didn't want to talk to. Or, you know what I mean? Like, there was a lot happening that he probably could use assistance with. But really, at the end of the day, he's God. He doesn't need them. He could do all of that with a blink of an eye, right? But the interesting part to me is that at the beginning part of that, which is really easy to skip over, it says he appointed 12 that they might be with him that he wanted them with him, right? And as I got to thinking about that, I, it made me think of the power of the collective, which is what we've been talking about, and the power of a community like this is the reality is we can all function in life on our own, right? You can wake up in the morning, get yourself dressed, hopefully, brush your teeth, like you can go to work, do your job, go to school, whatever that is, right? But life becomes so much better and we become so much stronger when we bring people into our world right and that's why a thursday night not for the sake of a thursday night but that's why this is so powerful and brings so much life is because we get to bring other people in our story and and to walk with us and to do life with us and so i just wanted to encourage us with that thought tonight as as ed prepares to wrap up his this series so can we pray God, I just thank you so much for what you are doing in the lives of each and every person in this room. God, I thank you that um, you don't call us to live life alone, but God, you call us to do life together. God, and we are so much stronger and better together than we ever could be by ourselves. And you exemplified that in your time here on earth. God, we just, we just thank you so much for everything that you're doing. In your name, amen. Go to Romans 12 and 1 Thessalonians 5. Romans 12, 1 Thessalonians 5.
Sweet. So we're, we're going to wrap up this series, The Collective, tonight, and, and Brittany's thought really is a launching point for where we want to go. We've spent a lot of time talking about this idea of momentum in me leads to momentum in us. And I want to take the last night or last night of this series to spend some time talking about what momentum in us looks like. So uh, Romans 12, here we go. You got Romans 12. Romans 12, here we go. We'll start in verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. Um, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members of one body, and all the members do not have the same function, verse 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ accordingly to the grace that is given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Uh, I want to talk to you just real quick, wrap up this series with the thought, play your part. Play your part. Let's pray. Uh, God, I pray as we look at your word tonight that we'd come to understand, first of all, um, that we have a part to play everywhere we go. That we have a commission to add value everywhere we go. And I pray not only would we look at every aspect of our lives, but would we pause to think about our families and our friends and our job and also the role we play here at our local church with the collective of people coming together wanting to make your name great. And we thank you for how good you are. And um, we pray that both teams lose the Super Bowl on Sunday, next Sunday. Amen. I, I I, I am honest about the fact that I'm a Patriots fan. I was raised one. Don't be mad at me. I didn't pick it. It picked me. Uh, the Seahawks, the Seahawks, I know, I know, it's okay. The C- The Seahawks are like my hometown team, but I was raised a Patriots fan. Um, so I've, I was in pain two Sundays in a row. You guys were just upset one Sunday. I, I felt pain two Sundays in a row, just so you know. But um, uh, I was trying to think of how to explain the concept I want to talk about tonight. Have any of you, how many of you guys have been to summer camp somewhere and played like a summer camp game, right? So my I love summer camp, and, and i got to be honest, I'm 26. I turned 27 in a couple months. My ability to bounce back after summer camp has like, it drastically, I just can't do it anymore. I was walking I was walking with Taylor, our youth pastor, the last night of summer camp this year, and I was like, bro, how many more of these do we have in us? We were both like limping and beat up and bruised and like just tired and my but my favorite game at summer camp is a game called Hogtie. Anybody ever heard of Hogtie? So this is Hogtie, this is the idea of Hogtie. You put a bunch of teenage girls in a field and you tell them to tackle a guy who's just running around in the field. And their job is not only to tackle them, but pin them down and then tie them up like a hog in a rodeo, all right? Now, I'm good at hog tie because I basically treat teenage girls like bowling pins. My job is just to straight up run through people. And I, I was an offensive lineman in a defensive end. I'm good at it. I just run people over. Like, that's what I do. And... And so, uh, two experiences with Hogtie, and, and, and I'll, it'll kind of lay the table of our thought tonight. Uh, a couple years ago, when I was the youth pastor in Central, we played this game for the first time. Now, believe it or not, there's actually a lot of strategy to this. There's people, each, each member of this team should, like, have a role, right? 
And so these girls a couple years ago had no idea what they were doing, and, and they came up against me, and my strategy every single time is just to run straight at them. That's what I do. And so I, they say go, and I start running straight for them. And I remember all these girls just step out of the way, and there's this single girl who just kind of puts her arms out thinking she's just going to, like, wrap me up. And she she was, like, barely five feet and, like, barely 100 pounds. You know what I mean? And and so I stepped to the side, and my football took over, and I stiff-armed her, like, really hard. And I, I launched her in the air and spun her around. And I just kind of, like, stepped bam, and, like, just lit her up, and her mom happened to be there that day, so here I am, the youth pastor, and I just sent the daughter spinning through our field, just kind of rolling, and they never caught me, never caught up, because they, they were kind of all on their own trying to take on something, none of them were going to tackle me on their own. Fast forward to 2015, super excited at camp, got to play hogtie. And uh, the, I didn't realize this, but the, the team that I was up against, their team leader was like an expert at hogtie, and he gave them all responsibilities. One of them was, your job is to sweep Ed's legs, because if you can get him, if you, you got to get him down first, sweep his leg. And then there was a girl who, as soon as Ed hits the ground, your job is to jump on his back, all right? Keep that in mind. So we start, they say go, and I just take off running straight for this whole herd of girls. Oh, before we started, all the girls and all the teams got together and started swinging a T-Swift song. Like, what, what love is tor- like love is torture, like, don't say I didn't tell you, you know? They're literally just chanting it, and all of us hogs are just kind of walking around the field scared for our lives, not sure, like, what type of feminine power they were passing through the circle as they sang. And so they say go, and I take off running. I run straight towards them, and I remember this girl, her name was Allie. She stepped out of the way, and I was like, sweet, I'm in the clear. I'm just going to go around for another lap. Next thing I know, I'm face planning because she literally swept my legs, like dropped down, used her forearm, and swept my legs out from underneath me. And I hit the ground, and I somersault. See, because, like, I'm deceptively agile for a big guy, I'll admit it. And, like, if I was in the NFL combine, I'd be surprisingly athletic. You know what I mean? And so I, like, roll out of it. And as I roll and go to stand back up, this girl named Lauren Metacroft literally jumps on my shoulders. And, like, so now I have forward momentum. And then this, like, 100 pounds of girl just hits me right in my back and sends me forward again. And next thing I know, there's eight girls. Like, they didn't even try to grab me or anything. There's just eight girls that have just piled on top of me. And I'm having to, like, try to, like, push and shove and fight my way out. And and they're, like, at one point they grabbed my legs. You know the scorpion from, like, Ridiculousness? They tried to grab my legs and put them over my head, and I'm, like, refusing to be tied up, and I'm, like, trying to flip over, and I thank God for Brittany, because she runs over, she's like, no, no, you're not going to do that, but it, it, the idea of a bunch of 100-pound girls playing a role and playing their part and understanding it, they actually accomplished something. They took down something that none of them could take down on their own. And this is the idea of the collective. A lot of us have spent a lot of our lives trying to tackle giants that are defeating us constantly. Instead of pausing long enough to gather together with a collective of people 
and say, hey, let's all tackle this together. Our generation is phenomenal at starting causes, and there's a Kickstarter for all these different types of things. But think about how much more powerful it would be if people just unified their efforts around one thing. Think about how much our generation could accomplish if all the senior projects were centered around one thing instead of a bunch of people trying to make a name for themselves. Think about what we could accomplish as a church if we all got really passionate about reaching our families and our jobs and our coworkers, and, and we all started bringing them here. The power of the collective gets more powerful the more we individually buy into this thought of life is better together. And I want to look at the scripture in Romans 12 and then we'll end up... What's the HVAC kicking on? Praise the Lord for air conditioning. All right. I, I want to look at this thought in Romans 12 and then we'll end in 1 Thessalonians and we'll be done in a minute. But in, in Romans 12 verse 3, it, it's interesting to me that Paul starts off with this idea of humility. And I think our generation specifically struggles with this. I love this statement by Brian Houston. He says, what I'm a part of is always bigger than the part I play. What I'm a part of is always bigger than the part I play. And our generation has flipped it. And we try to believe that the part I play is bigger than what I'm a part of. And we drag that into our families and we drag it into our jobs and we drag it into our church. And and we're going to talk about this idea of church tonight, but I want you to think about this. Whenever I'm involved with a group of people, how is it affecting it? And, and I would encourage you, some of us, we so value our part over what we're a part of that we offer our opinions on how everything should be different and then we don't offer to be part of the solution at all. We'll retweet something or we'll talk about something behind someone's back or we'll sit in the back row of church and say, this message just isn't impacting me. But we don't bring anything to the table. We'll be frustrated with our parents for the way they treat us and we don't pay rent and we don't have a job and we're not going to school and we're not bringing anything to the table. We'll be frustrated with our employers saying, man, they schedule me all the time. Well, yeah, but you don't show up for any of them. You're not playing your part. We have to be willing to accept the fact that what I'm a part of will always trump the part I play. That believe me, as soon as we begin to believe that what we're a part of wouldn't exist if we weren't there, we're missing the point. In my relationship with Brittany, if if I was so full of myself and thinking that my role as a husband was so much more important than Brittany roles, Brittany's role of a, as a wife, I'm trumping, my part starts trumping what I'm a part of and our marriage is out of balance. You see this in dating, people selfishly thinking, what can I get out of it before what can I bring to it? And we see this happening in church and we see it in our jobs and we see it in our relationships, we see it in our families. We always have to be asking the question before we ask, what can I get out of it? I would encourage you to ask, what can I bring to it? And it helps keep us humble. But from there, I want to jump into this idea of four things to playing your part, four keys to playing your part. The first one is this. You need to commit. Playing your part in the collective, the first one is this. You need to commit. A lot of us want the benefits of commitment, but we do not want the part of diligence that comes with it. A lot of us want to feel the benefits of being solidified somewhere and feel the benefit of relationship from being committed to something or the benefits of a paycheck from being committed to a job or the benefits of a relationship when we give of ourselves to someone else. We want the benefits of being committed, but we tap out as soon as the going gets tough. And and it's interesting to me, when I talk to people who have a pattern of lack of commitment, it's always someone else's fault, but they're the person who always leaves. 
commitment and commitment issues blame someone else when I am the common denominator. I'm the one who's left all those jobs. I'm the one who's walked away from all those churches. I'm the one who's walked away from all those serious relationships. A commitment issue says the issue is everybody else, but I'm the one who's commonly involved with all of them. And church and the collective and the collective within the idea of church really starts to work when we're committed to being here. And the key to committing is you have to buy in. There has to be this buy-in that we reach. We, we call it belief, right? Where we believe that what they're selling is actually working. Where we believe that I really want to be a part of that and I want the benefits of it and I want to see the fruit of it. So I have to buy in. And think about it this way. You wouldn't go to Red Robin in Kent and have a bad server and then expect a horrific server in Washington, D.C., you would go to Red Robin. If you want a Royal Red Burger, you're going to go to Red Robin and believe that that restaurant's going to give you a better server. But we treat church differently. We say, I had a bad experience, especially our generation. I had a bad experience in church, so all church must be bad. And we go into church context expecting to be offended. And, we, and some of us do this with jobs. We go into jobs before we've even started them, expecting them to offend us and treat us poorly. We expect it in church, and we expect it with family members. We expect it with friends. When we lack the ability to commit to something, it becomes an easy excuse for us to just move on to something else. And then we're going to hit our 40s and wonder why we never built anything. It's because we never had the diligence to stay. I would encourage you to get a little bit of tougher skin. If you have a commitment issue, I would encourage you to ask the question, am I looking for what I found, or is this really truly an issue? that it's worth me leaving over. I would encourage you to ask that question. The second one is this. Playing your part, the first step is to commit. The second one is this, is to grow. And we've, we've spent a lot of time at the start of year talking about this. We talked about setting goals and how to reach them. And we spent time talking about finding your place and, and get that settling of your soul and purpose. And, and then last week we spent time talking about habits and how they're so destructive because some of us don't even see them. Talking about that idea of there's a cue and a reward, a routine and then a reward. And we really need to grow. Why? We need to grow because when we commit and buy in, that's a, a, our growth among the collective is an indicator that we've actually bought into this thing. Our willingness to say, hey, I'm going to stay here long enough to see this actually start working. I'm going to stay here long enough and I'm going to stay committed long enough that I'm going to see myself start growing and starting to change. I mean, the stories that have come out of UDYA in the past three years are so cool. People who used to be completely crippled in an area but are now seeing success in it. People that have moved on and gone back to school or gotten promoted and moved forward. Why? Because it works. This, I, this Jesus thing, it works. And we can't buy into it and not see it start working. And growing is not just important for us, but it's important because it starts to speak to the facts of the people around us that this works. And that's, that's the third key to this. The first one is we need to commit. Second, we need to grow. The third one is we need to invite people. If you want to play your part anywhere, invite people to be a part of it. And, and when it comes to church and when it comes to this Jesus thing and believing in Jesus and growing in relationship with him, the main key and our main evangelistic tool is this statement, it's working for me. This thing, this attending church, this buying into Jesus, this giving my heart, my life over to Jesus, it's working for me. And that is our best tool to invite people. Our lives should be speaking that this Jesus thing works. 
our lives should be screaming it. And, and the byproduct, byproduct of that is people noticing. Hopefully the people around us are noticing that our lives are changing. Hopefully the people around us are saying, hey, that used to knock you out, but it's not anymore. Hopefully the people around us are saying, you used to struggle with that, but you're not struggling with that anymore. And that is where the invitation begins to come. In essence, we're inviting people to see the success that we're already seeing. Because the fundamental truth of this, if it's working for me as a human, it will work for you as a human. When we commit to it, when we buy into it, when we begin to see growth, the next natural step for us is we should want to invite people to see the growth and participate in the growth that we're seeing. And the fourth one is this, and we're going to camp on this for a minute. You need to commit first, you need to grow second, then start inviting. And then the fourth one is this, give. And and we'll talk about a lot of aspects of this. The first one I want to encourage you to give of is your story. I want all of us who call UDYA home, I want all of us to be generous with our story, with our testimony, with, in essence, the story of how Jesus is working in our lives. The, I used to be, and then I found Jesus, and now I am. The, grace is working in me, God is working in me and working through me. There is nothing more powerful than our stories. The greatest weapon we have, first of all, as we fight the accusations that come towards us, especially in our own heads. Hey, you, this is who you are. And we can quickly remind ourselves, no, I am now this as Jesus is working. That's the first thing. But the other thing is our story will spark faith in someone else. People hearing that, hey, I used to struggle with and now I don't. We never know the person that that's going to spark faith in the beginning of belief in them. When they're hearing, hey, no, this is where I was at but it's working for me. There's people we never know where they're standing and our story could be the beginning of their journey. So we got to start being generous with our story. The second one is this. I would encourage you to be generous with your talent. Some of us see the opposite side of, or the interesting thing with this humility thought is some of us have bought into the lie that we so believe there's nothing in us we have to offer that we don't offer anything to anyone. And yet, we can't read this Romans 12 scripture and see that since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them. We all have something we can bring to the table. We all do. Whether it's a passion or a talent or a gift, some of us it's excess, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Some of us, we all have something that God deposited in us that we should be willing to bring to the table everywhere we go. Some of us, it's a word of encouragement. Some of us, you have a phenomenal talent that people can use to build something great. Some of us have this innate wisdom that we can offer to people. Some of us have a ton of faith. What is the talent, the gift, the deposit that God has put into us that I can bring to the table? What's the thing in me that gets me excited about helping other people? What's gets me stoked if I could just do this for the rest of my life? Start doing it now. Some of us aren't operating in our talent and our gifting because we've convinced ourselves we need to wait for it. We're going to wait a long time. We have to be willing to start now and say, I have this, I have this thing, and I I am so going to use my talent to benefit and grow people. The third thing is this. Be generous with your overflow. Generosity has very little to do with the money in your pocket. 
and has a whole lot more to do with the perspective you bring to life. Generosity is this simple perspective. I'm going to look in my life for any area of excess, and I'm going to use that excess to bless people. That's a generous person. A generous person is just as much the one who writes a, hey, I'm thinking of you note to someone who's in the slums than it is someone who gives money to it. They're both generosity. Generosity is the person who serves diligently somewhere because they have a bunch of time than it is the person who gives money to it. Generosity is just as practical as it is financial. And we count ourselves out because I only have 20 bucks in my pocket. Well, that's not the basis of generosity. Because this is the thing. If we can learn to be practical with our generosity now, we will be generous with our finances later. Because it has so much more to do with perspective than it does a dollar amount. So I would encourage you to ask the question, where do you have excess in your life? Do you have a lot of time right now? Then serve somewhere. Do you have a really strong family? Then invite someone in who doesn't have a good home life to spend time at your table. I cannot tell you how many people Brittany and I talked to have not had a homemade, home-cooked meal in a long time. And it hit Brittany and I like a ton of brick. We've come from good homes. We are constantly inviting people into our home. Why? Because we want to reestablish normal for them. This is excess for me, but it's a deficit for you, and let's meet in the middle somewhere. What, what can I give that I have excess of that's going to bless someone else? And I would encourage you to keep your mind about doing that here locally first. Our generation is great about giving money to people we've never met. And that's awesome. And I want you to give money to Red Cross, and I want you to go on that missions trip, and I want you to go across the world. But please don't think that there's not people you're rubbing shoulders with every day that need your generosity too. Please don't think that there's people in your college class or on your job or in your family or, or the person checking your food out at Safeway. Don't think that those people don't need your generosity as well. I would encourage you to start here in your sphere of influence. And if you still have access, then go somewhere else with it. But let's have an impact in our community first. Let's build a name that says UDYA, that our local church, wherever you call church home, wherever that is, hey, we're a generous people first here. And this is the cool thing about God. When we take care of our home front, God starts opening doors further out, further out, further out. That's why we're so passionate about UGM here first. I want to have an impact in my city first. And then we'll go out there from there. But it's because it's an overflow of a perspective and a spirit that we've started with already right here. The last thing I want you to be generous with is your finances. Now, most of you just tuned me out because you're expecting I'm going to give a, hey, we need your money to make this thing work speech. And, and, and that is not Brittany and I's or our leadership's perspective on tithing at all. The thing, the thing tithing does for me, giving of regular finances that does for Brittany and I, is when the going gets tough here, our heart is here. Why is our heart here? Because we've given our money to it. There is something so powerful about that statement, where your finances are, there your heart will be too. A lot of us, our finances are with Forever 21, or the car that we can't afford the payment on anymore, or the rent that we can't pay. And I would encourage you to put your stake first in a person, in a place that can help you, a collective thing that can help you instead of something that's just trying to collect your money. 
There's something so powerful about starting and putting your stake in the ground and saying, I am in with God and I'm in with his church. And when we tithe, that's what we do. Hey, I'm putting my stake in the ground that says my first place is God. My first place is this collective. That's that's where I'm going to call home first. And I can give you story after story about all these people that said, man, I was looking at my bills and I wasn't going to have money, but I tithed first and then I had money. And Brittany and I have seen it happen, and it really, like, this principle works. We wouldn't teach it if it didn't. But, but I think as we're talking about the idea of the collective, we have to remember that where I put my money, that's where my heart is. And there's no better place to put your heart and soul than with God and his people. That's a great place to start. So I want you to be generous with your story. I want you to be generous with your talent. I want you to be generous with your overflow. And I want us to be generous with our finances. Go with me and we'll wrap up with this First Thessalonians scripture. First Thessalonians 5, 11 through 18. First Thessalonians 5, 11 through 18. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Verse 12, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Verse 15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica in this scripture. And what had happened is they were getting some bad teaches about bad teaching about when the end of the world was coming. And they were forgetting the purpose of church. They had tapped out. They were quitting their jobs. They weren't having an influence in their community. They were becoming a burden on one another. And Paul is ending this this first letter to Thessalonica, and he's saying, hey, let me remind you what church is all about. That's a list right there. Hey, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient, see that no one repays evil for evil, but seek out which is good for one another and all people. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. That's a collective that I want to be a part of. I, I want to be known as a place that encourages the faint-hearted. People who come in and life has been hard. I want to be known as someone who brings them in, builds them up, and then sends them back out. I want to be known as a place that takes care of the weak. People who can't take care of themselves. Whether it's because they're hurt emotionally or mentally or physically or spiritually, I want to be known as a place where they come to UDYA. And we take good care of the people who come here. I want to be known as a place where, hey, we may be wronged, but I'm not going to get you back. That's not my deal. That's someone else's. I want to be known as a place that is constantly looking for the good in everyone and pointing out the good to everyone. I want to be known as a place where we rejoice always with everyone. When there's a success, this is why we got to share our story. Because when we see success, then we can share it. And then we can all celebrate together. I want to be known as a place when people are going through a tough time, then, then you have a group of 180, 100 young adults that are praying with you, believing that things can change. I want to be known as a place 
where we're constantly giving thanks because things are constantly getting better around here. That's the power of the collective. That's the power of when I decide that I'm going to bring what I have to the table and the momentum that I'm seeing in me and the the growth that I'm seeing in me. When I bring that to the table, it's amazing what we can accomplish together. And it's so much bigger than what we could ever try to tackle on our own. I want to end just a little differently tonight. In just a minute, I'm going to have you grab some people that you're really comfortable with. So people that you do life with, like groups of three or four. All right? And I want you to answer these two questions. The first one is this. Where is the area that I'm not playing my part? Where is the area that I'm not playing my part? Whether that's at home with your family or here in church or on your job or wherever it is, where am I not playing my part? And then the follow-up question to that is, how do I begin to play my part? What do I need to do to commit? What do I need to do to engage? What do I need to do to be diligent? So first, where am I not playing my part? Second, what do I need to do so I can start playing my part? We'll talk for a couple minutes, break up into your groups, and we'll wrap up after that. If you could just pause your conversations for a second. I'm just going to pray because apparently that's what you do at the end of services, and then we will... Uh, We'll, we'll keep going. Hopefully you can keep talking about whatever you're talking about. Um, one thing about that invite piece, I want you to know from like Brittany and I and from our team, we've designed UDYA specifically so people who, who are used to this Jesus thing get something out of it. But it looks, Thursday nights look the way they do because we want people who don't know church and don't know God. That's a huge, 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 huge drumbeat for us. We enjoy redefining what God looks like and what church looks like, especially in our generation, because a lot of people have bad ideas about all of that. And so I hope you feel comfortable to bring people not just that love Jesus and are looking for a great church, but also people who have no idea about what this God thing looks like and what church looks like. That is why Thursday night looks the way it does. And so I just want to encourage you in that. This is a great place you can bring people, and I promise you they'll be well taken care of, because hopefully you all feel that too, right? So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you um, for the collective, God, that we individually can come and we can bring our stories and bring our talents and and bring our excess and and bring our, our money to the table so we can accomplish more together than we ever thought we could on our own. And we thank you so much that you've blessed this place and that we're seeing young adults in our whole area and in so many different churches really find a home and be well taken care of. And, and that's our drumbeat. We want to be known as a place where people have a story and people know their name. And we thank you so much that it started with us, but now we want to invite and take that out and bring people in so they can see the success that we're seeing. And we thank you for it in your name. Amen. I'm excited about, did Brittany talk about the dating series starting next week? I'm like, oh, yeah, so we're going to start our dating series next week. Bay might be in the room, and you just don't know it yet. And so we're, we'll talk about that and how to not screw that up, and it's super good. It was like our best series last year, too, so come back next week, and we'll start our dating series.